You're listening to the Foreign and International Medical Graduate Show, a podcast to inspire physicians in the process of immigration to the United States and access to graduate medical education. We create meaningful and helpful content that motivates medical students and doctors throughout the world with the goal of creating a community that supports itself and gives feedback to each other, that stays updated with the most recent tips and advice on how to make it in America and become a successful resident or fellow in the speciality of your dreams. Dr. Alonso Osorio is board certified and residency trained in both emergency and family medicine and will be bringing you 20 years of his personal experiences, struggles and motivation. We'll be chatting with people like you to talk about the lessons they've learned along their personal path, how to make an impact and how we can all benefit from it. Also, we'll analyze the current resources available and how to benefit from them. Thanks for joining us. Please enjoy the show. Hey, guys, welcome back to the uh, Foreign International Medical Graduate Podcast. Today, I'm celebrating anniversary number one with Dr. Aaron Osborne and nobody more special than him to come in my, into my show and be part of this uh, phenomenal, phenomenal uh, effort that we're doing to try to motivate not only foreign medical grads, international medical grads, but people across the world. And we have reached 20,265 listeners this far, and it's been a fantastic experience. So, Aaron, thank you for joining us. You. You're a fellow emergency physician like me. We're both residency trained in emergency medicine at the University of South Florida. We were classmates. Yes. And one thing I do remember is that when I was a family physician and I came to Tampa, Florida to interview, you were one of the residents that actually interviewed me. Yes. And uh, we developed a very good relationship for the years. And one thing that I'm, I'm really uh, saddened about is the fact that we grew apart. We were best friends during residency training and uh, we click and connected so much. And then I met my wife and, and I moved away back to Texas and obviously get, life just gets busy and busy. And despite the fact that we've been living in the same town, we never really got to reconnect. And it's not until I heard the fantastic job that you've been doing professionally and online to educate and motivate people that I wanted to reconnect and, and take advantage of this moment in one way or another to get back with you and, and, and tell you that I'm extremely proud of you as a fellow colleague and a physician and friend. And, and after 11 years meeting you again and having you here in, in my show is, is an honor. So thank you for joining me. Well, thank you. And let me just say that while life may separate people, I've been watching you through Facebook and other places, and I've always been very happy for you and your family. I've missed you. You're a hell of a guy, and you're being very humble. You, it's not just board-certified emergency medicine. You're board-certified in family practice as well. And uh, I've been watching uh, with great interest what you've been doing on the uh, with your podcast and everything else. You impress me every day, and your two children with their tennis skills continue to blow my mind. So totally amazing, Andrea. If you're out there, hi. Um, you know your wife's uh, probably the best thing that ever happened to you. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, and you're, you know what? I gotta say this here. You're an eHarmony success. That is great. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, yeah. Whoever doesn't know, my wife and I are like these love birds that met on the internet, and now we have two electronic babies that work conceive out of that, and and our kids go to the same school. You know, local school. Yes. Your daughter is into theatrics and performing, and your son is a very scientific, sporty type yes. of guy, right? Yes. Yes. Um, he is looking to pursue uh, you know, pre-medicine uh, and hopefully medicine down the road and interested in staying in the state of Florida for college. He will be going this fall, this coming fall in 2021. 
my daughter is hoping to pursue a career on the stage, uh, hopefully Broadway or maybe television, whatever she wants to do. But this year with COVID-19 has been rough on her. But she's uh, will be matriculating in 2022 from the same school as her children. You know, and that's one of the reasons, too, that our life went in different ways is that, you know, I had a little bit older kids than you. And unfortunately, my, you know, uh, their mother passed seven years ago. And it was about the time that we started not really seeing each other uh, as I became more and more committed to having to see those children through to adulthood without, you know, additional help except from their grandparents, which, by the way, I'm certainly grateful for. I want to talk about a little bit about uh, your scientific life. Sure. And, and, but I want to first kind of introduce to our, our guest uh, your credentials. So Dr. Aaron Osborne is... Uh, and medical doctor, but he's also a PhD. And he went to undergrad to the College of William and Mary in Williamsburg, Virginia, for his Bachelor of Science in Biology and Psychology, followed by a PhD in biochemistry and molecular biology at the University of South Florida College of Medicine, where I attended residency training, followed by a fellowship for two years in biochemistry and molecular biology, at USF, and then obtaining your medical degree at USF in 2003, in 2007, right. followed by a residency training in emergency medicine, the same years that I was there with you for three years from 2007, 2008 to 2011, and, and that's where we met and developed a friendship. So Os, uh, Dr. Osborne, uh, real Dr. Oz, as we know him on the internet, comes with a significant scientific background. And the reason for this show today, and, and it's this controversy created by the madness about the COVID-19 vaccine. I think we, we as doctors owe to the community some commitment of education and making them understand what we do better. And I think no one better than a medical doctor that did most of his research on this type of technology that were used for the vaccination, but what you have done in your, in your life. Guys, I'm gonna give you a simple exam example. Aaron, through his personal research, actually discovered, and, and, and help me out with this one, because I know you know the details very well, the specific variant of cystic fibrosis that your wife suffered from, and you kind of help isolate and split the, the gene that was affecting her because you know that she had something going on but uh, I don't know how that went on. Basically, I was not a doctor at the time, and I didn't. It wasn't through my research. Just it was basically doing my own um, research on pulmonary diseases in the medical libraries. Kind of, ironically, kind of what everyone does today on Google, uh, and then they profess themselves to be an expert. The difference was at the time I had, was I had already basically completed my PhD in molecular biology. And so I started reading about medicine and I came across, you know, a lot of uh, different diseases and I knew a lot about what had been going on with her chronic cough and pulmonary disease. Ultimately, I found that she likely had cystic fibrosis. So I encouraged her to get genetically tested and the genetic test indeed uh, showed she had cystic fibrosis at age 32. My research, however, was on molecular immunology as it pertains to cancer cells. And we developed an mRNA uh, based chemotherapy, if you will. And uh, that's going to be relevant to our discussion today because that technology came about in the early 2000s. And I was awarded a U.S. patent for that uh, use of uh, antisense mRNA to bind to and inactivate uh, an oncogene RNA inside your cells and thereby um, reactivate um, your self, non-self immune system. And sort of like when you have a transplant uh, and there's a projection or, uh, or acceptance of that organ, 
it, the immunosurveillance of your body was turned back on and would eliminate the cancer cells. So that was using mRNA technology, which is going to be relevant to our discussion of vaccines today. This is going to be fun. Aaron, this year has been one of the craziest year in our lifetime and probably will be. I don't know what's going to be 2021 like, but I know that at the very beginning uh, of this year, we were overwhelmed by this disease process. We didn't know what we were dealing with, what was coming to us from China. And at the very beginning, I'm going to tell you the truth. I was a non-believer. I didn't know what was going on. And Me too. And Me too. I never, I never thought I was going to lose my job. At the very beginning, you know, as New York gets hit so, so harshly. And then suddenly people get fearful. They stop coming to the emergency department. We have no patients to be seen. And they tell me, hey, we don't need you anymore. With the excuse of COVID-19 and understaffing and overstaffing with uh, lack of patients, I was let go. I was unemployed. And now the fall has come as we expected. The winter is here and the cases have risen up to an out of proportion level. I think we have hit like record numbers for the day. Uh, what has been this crazy year for you like this far? Well, it's, uh, it's definitely been one of the worst of my life, for sure. Um, I think most people can say that. I think we're all very excited to have about nine days of uh, 2020 left, counting them down eagerly. Um, this will be, probably be the best uh, year ever to count down the last 10 seconds at New Year's. Uh, I'm excited to see 2021. Can't be much worse than this. What, what happened, uh, same as you, I went through a long period of unemployment as an emergency doctor. It was difficult to find employment once uh, I was not in the ER. Once I was not in the ER actively every day, uh, most ERs began uh, shrinking their hours for their doctors. They started uh, laying off staff. They started uh, reducing the length of shifts. And, uh, you know, because at the end of the day, emergency medicine has become corporatized. Um, and there's uh, large uh, corporate entities and investment banking firms that own uh, most of the groups, not all. But as you found out in a private democratic group, I think you were in, um, the, the same financial things constrain them as well. So um, they cut back and it was hard. The reality in life, whether it's emergency medicine or any other job, is that when you're employed, everyone wants to employ you. When you're unemployed, nobody wants to employ you, especially if that unemployment goes on long enough. So it's very difficult. So, you know, at the end of the year, uh, I think you know this about me well, I'm sort of uh, like a phoenix, you know, so I like to kind of rise back up. So we're, we're coming up out of the ashes, but ironically, um, you know, COVID-19 caused some of my unemployment problems, but they also it also gave me the greatest opportunity I may have had in my uh, 13 years of emergency medicine, because this is the first time I've truly Aside from maybe the Haiti earthquake uh, many years ago when we were residents. Yes, and, uh, that was that. awesome. This is the first time I feel like I'm really doing something for the benefit of a really outrageously bad situation. I mean, yes, in the emergency room, we deal with cardiac arrests and gunshot wounds, and, but there's a lot of sprained ankles and, you know, sort of mundane things, you know, medication refills, et cetera. That's all great. I don't mind doing that. But um, this time, this is life and death, and there are people literally clinging for their for their for every breath they take right now and i've been given the opportunity to come and work in a temporary field hospital um, out in el paso texas which i think most people know was recently one of the major hot spots in the united states the people of uh, uh in this town that are unfortunately having to deal with this situation are really in a bad place and the right across the river uh, there's another 1.2 or 1.3 million people in juarez that are suffering as well um and so we've got people um, in basically a temporary field hospital here outside of any of the other hospitals. It's, just, it's been built by the government in the state of Texas, and we're doing a great thing here. I'm very familiar with El Paso because we had a contract when I was working in Texas, um, uh, Del Rio Medical Center that is literally across Ciudad Juarez, and you can see Mexico from the other side, and the people jumping the border and jumping the fence and running through the highway. 
And, uh, you know, we have the military town that is pretty heavy, uh, you know, protected and staffed. But uh, it is remarkable to see how this population is being affected. Tell us from your perspective right now, being in El Paso, Texas, helping these underserved, overwhelmed, critical need uh, medical staffing, what it's been like to be there on a regular basis it's this town has been devastated. It's it's absolutely been devastated. Um, I'll tell you this: this town is made of ninety nine percent believers. Okay, this you're not going to find the fifty fifty split here like you see in our country. This this town, you could walk down the streets and every shop is closed. There's no indoor dining. There's uh, or very little of it uh, that you can find. There's curfews at ten o'clock, okay? and everything is closed. Most restaurants are closing at eight and nine. Um, it's it's that obviously is infecting the economy. The Uber drivers aren't getting rides. The, the Uber Eats people are making out like bandits right now, I guess, because everybody's get, getting delivery. But there's not a lot else. I mean, you can't order Domino's pizza here. There is no delivery, okay? You have to figure out how you're going to go pick it up yourself, and I'll do a contactless pickup. It's 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 devastating everything. Um, it's watching people make sacrifices for the better uh, betterment of their own citizens of this town has been inspiring. They all wear their masks, and they all do the social distancing. It's been good to see. Aaron, I'm going to play naive here and forget that I'm a physician and I'm just going to ask you like I'm a normal person. How in the world you're going through such a situation in another part of the United States, in, in other parts of the country, people walk around like it is nothing, talking, saying nonsense and pretending that if they get infected, they get nothing. And I'm seeing on regular basis, mostly very sick people struggling right. to breathe significantly infected where is this cultural struggle to understand that this is serious deal yeah I, I you know Alonzo in this in this in this country we've gotten to a sort of split um, uh, ideologically and I think I don't know if it starts at a political level or if it starts at some uh, more ideological level I think people don't want to be told what to do. I think that's one of their biggest things. Um, when I've talked to a lot of my colleagues that, you know, are disbelievers, don't believe in wearing masks, think it's no big deal. I think they're afraid of, of government or someone, you know, higher up than them saying you have to do something. And it's a, they feel, they see it as a violation of their personal liberties and their personal freedoms. The problem with that thinking, as far as I'm concerned, is that, you know, your liberties only extend as far as mine begin. Okay, and that's the whole issue with masks. And you know, the masks are about you know not protecting yourself; it's about protecting someone from you. Okay, and we can talk about that a bit. But the masks protect you, or other people, from you spraying out droplets of respiratory secretions that may be carrying viruses. So to me, it's just utterly offensive when somebody doesn't put a mask on because because they think it does nothing. You're you're putting my life at risk. You're putting my kid's life at risk. You're putting my parents' life at risk. Right? And that's where your liberties end, in my opinion. To me, like, if your parents told you when you were a little child, you know, wash your hands, wipe your nose, whatever, okay, don't put your finger in an electric socket, you didn't see that as tyranny. You didn't yes. see it as, you know, someone trying to control your life. You saw it as good advice from people that knew better than you, and were trying to keep you safe, right? And so to me, that's what's frustrating, is as a physician, as a researcher, um, and hell, there are people out there that know a lot more than I do, okay? I mean, uh, for people, including our president, for God's sake, at one point, to be denigrating Someone like Dr. Fossey, who was from the Centers of Disease Control and doing his best to advise this country. And then, you know, you have that leadership and coming from the top, just already saying, don't do this. Don't do that. Won't wear a mask when he's in public. 
I mean, to me, that's an utter epic failure of leadership. Forget politics. I don't care who the president is. I don't care what side of the political spectrum they're on. It's just simple. We have a pandemic going through the country. Put a mask on, socially distance, wash your hands, stay apart. You know, if we were all a mile apart from each other, if every person in the United States could spread out by one mile, nobody would be spreading this virus around. I literally had an argument with a fellow health care worker in the elevator just in my hotel yesterday as he asked 10 people to pack in the elevator and then told everybody that social distancing doesn't work, even the CDC says so. I, I literally lost my mind. And that's what we're fighting. Even I, 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 I know that sometimes your head, I've seen your head, the head exploding out twice on the internet. Oh, yeah. And this oh. would be number three. So your head exploded, you turned super <laughs> red. And the, how do you contain yourself not to tell him, hey, you idiot? I don't, uh, sadly. I don't well with that. I mean, I actually uh, very uh, stringently called him out on it and said, I don't even understand how you're working in this field right now. I said, you show me where that says that in the CDC, and I'll give you a public apology, but I'm a physician, and I can tell you otherwise. that It just makes no logical sense. You can't transmit a virus from one person to another if we don't ever run into each other, okay? You know, if I'm on the other side of town and you're here, you can't give it to me. Okay? If we had ample social distancing, it's just impossible to have viral spread. So, you know, does six feet work? It, some people think maybe 10 feet's better. Is it practical to do that all the time? No. no. But that's the problem. Our society has gotten so... Going back to your original question, what's going on? Society's gotten so about themselves. Everyone's about the individual. There's no more of people thinking like John Kennedy. You know, ask what, and that's not what the country can do for you. Ask what you can do for the country. Instead, everyone's asking, what can they do for themselves? You know, don't tell me what to do, right? It's, it's just as simple, you know, and people don't want to be inconvenienced. You know, when we had world wars, people were inconvenienced. They rationed gas. They rationed food. They were willing to do extra so that we, the United States could become the nation it is in the 1940s and 50s. You're, you're not ever asked to sacrifice now. The only people to sacrifice, you ask people to go to war. Okay? We're at war with a virus right now, whether people want to admit that or not. We're at war with a pandemic. A little bit of sacrifice is all that's been asked. And if people had done that nine months ago and put masks on for 90 days or two months, we wouldn't be in the mess we're in right now, but we had half the population running around not wearing masks and with a, with a, with a disease that's 10 times, maybe more, transmissible than influenza, right? And so you got to just ramp it through the country because most people won't do what they're being asked. I don't, I don't wish this to anyone. And, and so everybody say where did contract COVID-19. I'm on day number 13 or 14 of my disease process. Oh. And it is awful. I work out pretty much on a regular basis. And I play tennis four, five times a week for three hours at a time. And I consider myself rather fit. I just got off the bike. And after uh, riding a bike for 30 minutes, I was completely depleted. This is the most awful disease. And now I understand why these seniors or people with underlying comorbidities get so sick and decompensate so fast. Because it affects your whole soul. It started like an ache, a headache, running nose, sore throat. And I put a lot of perfume. So in the morning, I woke up and I spray myself. I had no sense of smell. Then I go to work, a patient coats, and I don't smell the poop. And I said, I think I'm sick. So I went and I got myself tested twice with the, the rapid antigen, and I was negative. And my boss is, no, you really need to get your PCR testing. I think you're going to be positive. I say, I know. So when I got tested, they got me off of work. I was positive. And then the symptoms started getting worse to the point that I would ambulate 100 yards and I would get remarkably short breath with my heart rate going to 110, 120 beats per minute with this 
awful chest pressure that I couldn't bear. And it was the weirdest feeling. And to this moment, I just worked out a couple hours ago. I feel awful. My wife is an asthmatic. She's still struggling to breathe, doing her breathing treatments. Just imagine these seniors that are making it to their late 70s, 80s that have some underlying medical conditions and, and walk this very fine line, how sick they get. I know that our population, the one that you're dealing with, are my people, Hispanic, Mexicans, Latinos, with diabetes, obesity, hypertension, kidney disease, hyperlipidemia, sleep apnea, you name it. How do you see it? What is it? What you just described, um, and what I see it's most frightening, is it, you can, these people go with normal oxygen levels when we're supplementing it with, you know, some oxygen supplementation by a nasal cannula or something, and then just minimal exertion coming off of an ambulance gurney taking a couple steps and sitting down on the bed, their oxygen levels will drop 30% and they'll go turn blue right, in just a matter of seconds. Like they have no reserve, no ability to uh, compensate. Heart rate goes into the 120s and 130s. And it's just remarkable how you can look perfectly fine one second and be absolutely knocking on heaven's door the next. And uh, to borrow some Bob Dylan lyrics, you know, it's, it's just ridiculous um, how bad this disease really is. But it affects everybody differently. And, you know, the, the reality is 80% of the infections here in El Paso are in the 20 to 50-year-old age range. However, wow. 80 of the deaths are between 50 and 100. Okay? Say that again. Say that again, so, Aaron. Um, it was 80% of the infections, okay, or the cases, are in the 20 to 50-year-old age range. And 80% of the deaths are between the 50 and 100-year-old age range. So the 20% of the people uh, that are infected between 50 and 100 have 80% of the deaths, right? So four times more based on per capita uh, are dying in the elderly group than in the young group. So the young people are running around like it's no big deal, going out to bars at night, you know, uh, packing themselves into restaurants, going out their merry life, saying, well, it won't bother me. Right, but the problem is the very people that protected you and the very people that wiped your nose and wiped your butt when you were little are the ones that you're killing. It's just that simple. It's the ones that you profess to love, right? And again, it, it can't just all be about you. It's gotta be about other people. So the people that, that I've got and that I'm taking care of are, for the most part, older, but there are people in their 20s that are equally sick. You know, the reality is three out of every 100 people uh, in the younger group, okay, are going to get very, very, very sick and potentially even die of this disease. It's bad. If you get it, you could be one of those. Um, you know, there's no telling. I mean, you're young. You're in great shape. You're, you know, suffering from it, obviously. I can't believe to hear you can't go 100 yards. Uh, you know, you're a guy yeah. that does peloton. You're a guy that does uh, tennis. Uh, you know, it's ridiculous. I mean, I'm a golfer. I'll, I'd keel over. If I got COVID, I'm, I'm done for. So, <laughs> Aaron, it is impressive that you really packed your stuff and left now for weeks and you've been gone and you left your family behind. Where, where this personal motivation came from, uh, to help people. I know you've always been a really caring, passionate guy and you really advocate for your patients and you always have done that. Thanks. Where do you get this motivation now? In yeah, so I, I, got, I got motivated. Um, well, first of all, that's why I did research before I did medicine. I wanted to help as many people as humanly possible, right? So I felt that by doing research, I could affect tens of thousands of people with a discovery. Whereas in my clinical career, I see maybe four or 5,000 people a year. Um, and so I felt like I could do more that way. So um, while I love emergency medicine, I've been able to make an impact, I'm not making as much of an impact society-wise. And this has gotten so out of control with the COVID-19 that when I saw there was an, uh, an ad uh, for a position uh, to go and do a, a COVID relief, 
And I said, you know what? This is the perfect time for me to do this. I'm, I'm not going to be back working, uh, you know, uh, credentialed and full time until February or March back in Tampa Bay. And, uh, so let's go do this. Let's make a real impact and let's knock this the disease back to sweet mammy's house. It's time to, uh, time to tell who's boss. How, how you're protecting yourself from not getting infected. We spoke about social distancing, wearing your mask. What about our work? Well, so that's, that's amazing. So it, the amazing thing is we, I'm supplied with adequate PPE. Okay. I've got, you know, the N95 masks and full face shields and gowns. And um, there's, you know, without talking too much about exactly where I'm at, the reality is we do, uh, it's almost like being on a, going from a outside of a submarine into a submarine while it's underwater. It's like an airlock. So we go from, you know, a normal environment like outside into sort of like an airlock warm zone where we'll don and doff our gowns and put on the, the face shields and, and with every step you're cleaning your hands. And so it takes, you know, five to 10 minutes to get fully gowned up, booties, hats, uh, you know, the whole thing. And then you'll enter into, you know, where the patients with the virus are. And that's all negative pressure. And, you know, we've got HEPA filters and, you know, to protect ourselves. I'll be honest, I feel completely safe and comfortable in with the patients because one, I know who has it. Two, I'm totally gowned and protected. Three, I've been trained on what to do and also as my staff, okay? And so I don't feel I'm at risk when I'm in with patients. I feel at risk when I'm out in the outside in, in the public, when I'm just walking home to my hotel or when I'm you know out and about in town getting some groceries or something because you don't know who has it. You don't know if they're doing the appropriate uh, things and all you're really uh, wearing is a mask to protect other people from you. And if they're not doing the same, I'm at complete risk. So it's, you just do your best. I, you know, I highly doubt that you caught uh, COVID at work. I'll bet you oh. caught it around town. You're, you're correct. I honestly, to our listeners, I, 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 I dropped the guard at home. We decided to send the kids to school. And I know my daughter Paloma got sick first, then followed by Savi. And they never really get, specifically Paloma, very tight into the chest and she developed this clinical picture of bronchiolitis, a very kind of congested, wheezy type of clinical presentation. And I was remarkably concerned that my daughter Paloma is actually wheezing and very rattly long sounds. And this lasted for about 24 hours. She turned around with a little bit of a steroids and albuterol and stuff like that. And then Savi got it and we were worried about him kind of being the asthmatic one and he really fought it off because he has had his asthma well under control with his inhaled steroids for maintenance and stuff. And then I got it and I felt like crap and I tested positive. And then my wife that is an asthmatic got it. And I knew I did not bring it from work because I'm work and I'm the most careful person protecting myself, protecting the patients. And I got it from my own family. So how I feel really stupid as a doctor having done this. And now I understand Dr. Aneha, one of our prior guests, saying that that's why she's not sending her kids to school. You know, that's, it's crazy. Along those lines, um, you know, you know, my wife had a chronic lung problem. So we, my children carry the gene for that lung problem. So I don't know how that's going to affect them. And you know, basically, they're completely fine. They're just carriers. But I'm still worries me if they were to get an infection like COVID how that might affect them. Furthermore, I'm also worried for their, their her parents, basically. Um, and so we have been extremely strict um, about the social distancing, you know, seeing them, et cetera. When, uh, when I come back from Texas, I will not be joining them, uh, even if I've been vaccinated for two weeks. I'm going to be doing this, the isolation for 14 days prior to rejoining the family. And uh, they've stayed out of school. They've done video uh, school for most of the year. 
only recently did they go back, but of course, someone at the school, uh, but it wasn't your daughter in this case, it was somebody in their grade, <laughs> um, uh, contracted uh, COVID-19. And, you know, the word on the streets was that some of these kids were not wearing masks and going to parties. Not surprisingly, those are the kids that got infected and everyone had to go back to doing online learning. So until future notice, you know, my son likely is losing a senior prom this year. He's lost out on most of his best year of high school, you know, senior year. Uh, it's been devastating. Uh, it's been devastating socially and you know, social development for the children. Uh, it's causing depression in, in children. Uh, you know, my son's been uh, very frustrated throughout the year multiple times with the impact it's having. You know, it impacted our home life when I was not able to get reemployed. It impacted his life at school. Um, you know, you can't really go on dates when you're uh, on, you know, on six foot social distancing. It doesn't work very well. You know, you really can't hold your date's hand. Nobody wants to go out to a restaurant. The restaurants are closed. You know, you can't really Uber Eats in and sit six feet apart for a date in high school. Uh, although that's the way I would like to see my children have dates forever. Uh, but it, 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 they're, you know, it's frustrating. And so it's been hard on everybody that way. Aaron, and let me pick your scientific PhD brain. How in the world we're seeing all these doctors and nurses? And, and I don't understand. There is this guy whose name I'm going to quote, physician, internal medicine, extremely bright guy, discouraging publicly mm-hmm. on, the, on, the, on the access to the vaccination and telling people why they shouldn't get the vaccine. I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm going to go back to my immigrant mindset into America, humble guy, believer in, the, in what, in what the smarter people are doing for me. Okay, guys, let's set back 100 years, 50 years ago. Vaccines have been one of the most significant, drastic impact, life-changing interventions in the history of humankind. I'll go so far as to interrupt you there. It, they are the number one thing that have saved more lives and prevented more illness than anything that, that modern medicine or science has ever come up with. Exactly. So how are people so ignorant about not trusting scientists like you and many others that are burning their eyelashes trying to figure out a way, the only way that we know that we could potentially really fight over this horrible virus? It's, it's mind-boggling to me. Uh, as you know, my head's exploded from it several times. It, is, uh, it has been incredibly uh, frustrating to deal with the naysayers because um, there's, two, there's two groups of them, in my opinion. You know, there's, there's the ones that simply just don't know better, okay? You know, and like, let's face facts. You know, not everyone's a, you know, Albert Einstein, okay? And uh, not everyone is a scientist or even understands what we talk about most of the time. So I can understand them being skeptical or not understanding and, but, you know, and maybe somewhere along the lines, maybe through the corporatization of medicine and science, maybe we've lost the public trust to some degree. You know, maybe people see it as there's a profit motive. Maybe they, and therefore we're not, they don't have their best interest at heart. Maybe they think, oh, you know, these are, these people don't relate to me. They, they don't live where I live. They, they don't act like I act. You know, they're, they're the academic elite. Right? And so we don't, we don't really trust them because they're not like us. You know, there's always been tribalism in the United but States. But I would like the patients to understand that I really have their best interest. And, Absolutely. And I want them to know that this is the right thing to do. That's why if I, even despite the fact that I was convalescent from my infection, I needed to get vaccinated. There, the, 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 the label said wait two months until you get vaccinated. I said, you know what? I'm just going to go and get it. I'm going to boost my immunity or whatever it is. I know I'm going to be okay. And I've been just fine. 
but I just don't understand where my family members from me, relatives have lost trust on, on our system, on the capacity of people that have invested so much time and effort on this. I, I, I don't get it, Aaron. It's so frustrating. I feel sometimes really teary and, and, and upset it, about this whole situation. It's this is one of the reasons that, I agree with you. This is one of the reasons that physicians are burning out and are getting tired of doing medicine to some degree. There's a, it's a large problem in our country now that we're having people leave medicine and not come back. Um, and some of it's due to uh, salaries and doctor salaries going down. But some of it's just frustration with the job, being overworked, people literally just disrespecting you to your face in the middle of the emergency room. I mean, I, I know you know what it's like in there. I've, I Literally, I have people talk to me like I'm a piece of garbage and I don't yes. have their interest at heart. When I'm bending over backwards, doing everything I can for them, it's, it is incredibly frustrating. I try to remember it's the worst time of their life. They're in the emergency room. You know, they're not feeling good. But still, when did it become acceptable to curse out your doctor? You know, and, and that to me, that's a reflection of a larger societal problem. We've become coarse. We've become all about ourselves. We've become angry as a society. You know, nobody trusts anybody anymore. That's part of the problem on the political spectrum nowadays. If I mean, as a small aside, people on the right think everyone on the left is trying to uh, ruin the country and turn it socialist and, you know, sell it to China. Everyone on the left thinks everyone on the right is trying to, you know, just buy guns and, and uh, you know, just culture their religion and, and tell everyone, you know, that they can't have an abortion and trying to ruin the country as well in their own way. And, you know, and, and neither is true. Both sides ultimately want America to be great. Right? And they, but nobody listens to it. Instead, they demonize the other side. It's like tribes. So that's what I was saying a minute ago that, you know, the academic elite are almost a team, you know, and we don't wear the same clothes. We wear white coats and we live in our little, you know, research buildings. And the people out in the middle of Wyoming and, uh, you know, Idaho and, you know, Missouri and places like that. I mean, let's face it. There's not a ton of uh, great research. Uh, it's at the epicenter of the research world in Idaho. All, you know, my apologies to the University of Idaho. Okay? Uh, but still, you know, it's just it's that's not where uh, we don't congregate. We don't congregate with, with them. So people, it's easy for them to not trust when we don't look like them. We're not speaking like them. That We don't come from them. Um, and so I can understand that. But on another level, you know, just because I didn't understand my parents when I was a child doesn't mean that I didn't trust that they had my best interests at heart. And we've moved away from that paternalism or that maternalism in medicine. We're not supposed to be talking to patients in that way, try to include them in the decision-making process. But there's a time for that and there's a time not for that. In a global pandemic, when we're talking about a virus sweeping across the nation in a matter of weeks to months, is not the time to talk about long-term studies and we've got to do this, that, and the other, and, and people doing Google searches and saying, oh, you know, the virus is going to make my, you know, make me autistic. <laughs> okay, we got bigger problems. I mean, you know, people are dying at a clip of, you know, uh, about 1.8% for every 100 people infected in the United States. There's 17 million people infected. We got 320,000 dead. That's 1.8%, okay? Um, you know, 1.8% doesn't sound like a lot. Oh, well, it won't be me, you know? If I'm playing Russian roulette, you know, I got a one in 50 chance, basically, of that bullet blowing my head off okay, with this virus, if you get the analogy. But, you know, when you got 17 million people or eventually 100 million people and you have that larger number, you're going to have millions of people dead. And that's not acceptable. You know, as a doctor, one person dead is not acceptable to me. Well, and like you said, I'd be the happiest day of my life would be if I was unemployed because nobody ever needed to come to the emergency room again for anything. I'd be happy. You know what? I just want to go be a pro golfer, okay? Or go, uh, you know, hang it up and, and uh, you know, work uh, work in a music store or whatever. I don't care, okay? Um, I would so much love to never have a need for my services again. I do not 
tell people to take a vaccine because it profit uh, of profit motive. I don't get reimbursed if I, an X number of my patients get you know uh, vaccinated. We don't even do vaccines in the emergency room. So I'm coming at it completely from a non-biased. It doesn't do anything for me except put me out of business if everyone gets well. So uh, it, it's frustrating. It, it does. It hurts my heart. Why, why are they so afraid of getting vaccinated? I know that they don't trust the technology behind it. They think they talk about these crazy theories about yeah. the government injecting a, a little electronic chip in their system and being tracked for life and all these nonsense. Uh, Alonzo, they, they, there's, a, there's a, something called the Dunning-Kruger effect. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Uh, it's, it's, it's a phenomenon in psychology, basically, where um, the, the less someone uh, actually understands something, the more they tend to overestimate their abilities and how much they think they understand. And so there's this sort of inverse relationship between uh, confidence in themselves and actual knowledge. Um, a prime example of a Dunning-Kruger effect, and again, I hate to get political, but he's just so easy to pick on, um, <laughs> our, our, our outgoing president. The man is absolutely convinced he knows everything, and in reality he has very little training in almost anything. And uh, he is leading the charge on like a lot of the anti-non-believers uh, okay, out there, not necessarily with vaccines. I will give him some credit for trying to push the vaccine uh, forward quickly and encouraging Operation Warp Speed, and so that's been a good thing. Okay, I, you know I'm not I'm not going to slam him on everything. That that's actually been very good. But not wearing masks and other things, you know, you wonder why people don't do things when the father of the country, if you will, can't even put a mask on, uh, and then gets. I mean, the man can't even protect himself from getting COVID. But you know, and then and then you know we're going to follow his example. Goodness gracious, it is so sad and. As an immigrant, all the polarizing effects of this country regarding this disease have really blown my mind. And I'm all, I'm a United States citizen now. And I I'm, thank you for accepting me into your society and letting me be part of it. But guys, let's, let's get realistic here and, and do your part to, to make everybody better. Aaron, let's, let's talk about this technology. Can you explain in very simple ways what is the mRNA uh, technology that is being used by the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccinations that are 95% effective and we have already received uh, the, yes. first, the first shot of the series of two. Yes. Um, so, uh, first of all, I have not been vaccinated yet. Okay. Uh, Sorry about that. My Christmas present, I believe. It's, we're supposed to be getting it here um, in about five or six days. So, uh, that will be the best Christmas present ever. I'm excited. But, um, simple technology. This is really, 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 really amazing stuff here okay because the technology is not excuse me it's not new the technology's been around for a long time as i mentioned they, they said they think they made it like in the last year and that we're rushing with it though no. just pull it out of the hair and so the, the rush the rush on the vaccine is simply that um it's showing such benefit in the clinical trials that it would be medically unethical to withhold it and not start using it right now because it's shown almost no negative side effects other than the things you would normally expect like muscle soreness you know, uh, sometimes a low-grade fever, but you cannot get coronavirus from this vaccine, which I'll explain in a minute, okay? I'll go through the mechanism of that. The, they rushed it through with emergency use authorization because we have so many people dying, and we have so many people getting sick, and it's such a real pandemic that to withhold something that's 95% effective and potentially arrest this pandemic in a matter of months, if everyone were to actually accept this and do it, True it would be medically unethical. And so that's why it's been rushed through and why the FDA, who most people have tremendous faith in for a long time, is recommending uh, with a unanimous vote for the Moderna, vi for the Moderna vaccine and uh, a, I guess two people uh, 
said they didn't want to approve for emergency use authorization of the Pfizer vaccine. But that was only because they said they didn't want to authorize it down to the use of 16 years old, down from 18. So that was the only reason they didn't agree. For everyone else, they said, you know, we would go along with it. So anyway, the, the vaccines work as follows. So to make a regular vaccine takes years, okay, uh, because you have to uh, do a series of genetic manipulations where basically you enslave bacteria to do your dirty work for you. So basically we use bacteria to make a normal vaccine as a molecular factory, if you will, and we insert DNA, which is like the blueprint that um, the body uses or the bacteria will use to make something called mRNA or messenger RNA. Messenger RNA, then with the help of something called a ribosome, ribosomes will get on there and slide along and translate that, that blueprint or that copy of the blueprint, if you will, and make it into protein. And uh, protein is the final product, okay? And, in, and the protein is usually, in this case, a protein that is found on a virus, okay? And we're gonna use that protein to stimulate the immune system um, because we're gonna put it into the body, right? Other vaccines are also made by using attenuated viruses, where we take viruses and we inactivate them by heat or other mechanisms, and we inject those into the body. But we, to do that, you've got to get enough of the virus made somewhere and collected that you can actually have enough to distribute to hundreds of millions of, of people. And you have to make sure it's safe by um, you know, inactivating it. But do you have you inactivated every single particle? Maybe some of those viruses can still cause disease. And so therefore you can't really inject it into people that are immunocompromised, people that um, you know, maybe uh, immunocompromised from uh, being on cancer chemotherapy or taking steroids or have immunocompromising diseases. So how does this mRNA work? This mRNA skips a lot of those steps. It basically is taking the viral RNA, okay, sequence, they can synthesize that in a laboratory, and they can take that RNA and basically put it into something called a liposome. Uh, and a liposomal uh, preparation is proteins and lipids that are very similar to your cell membrane, and they encapsulate the RNA, and we're going to inject that into somebody's body. And when we do, that RNA is, uh, and that liposome uh, uh, will be uh, taken into the cell of choice. The RNA does not go into the nucleus of the cell that's not where RNA lives. mRNA stays outside of the nucleus. So it's not going to go in and integrate into your DNA, change your DNA for the rest of your life, potentially cause cancers, or be transcribed and translated into protein for the rest of your life. It's only going to be there transiently. When that's RNA where people get stuck, right? They, right. They, they get stuck on that. They get totally hung up on that. The RNA is very unstable. It does not want to stay as RNA. It wants to break down and go away. Okay, um, and your body also has things called RNases, which are proteins or enzymes that come in break and it eat it up, okay, break it down. So it's not gonna last long in your cell. That's one of the problems they're having with this vaccine is that they have to transport it at like minus like 100 Celsius, super cold, minus 70 freezers. That is really, really cold. That's like 150 below zero, okay, and in Fahrenheit, really cold. Um, and uh, it can only stay out of the freezer for a few minutes, okay? So that's how unstable RNA is. It wants to break down. So um, it's not gonna hang around in your cell at body temperature. So we put it into the body, the ribosomes get on, like we talked about, and they, get, and they translate it. And basically translate it into the viral spike protein, which you'll see behind me, those little blobs, purple blobs coming off the back of the virus. Amazing picture. Right, and uh, thank you YouTube for that. The, uh, the little spike proteins are what the virus uses to bind your cells and bring itself inside. And the virus itself uses your cells to replicate itself. It can't do its dirty work unless it gets into your cell, follows the same process of ribosomes on RNA and makes lots of the viral proteins and then they reassemble into a virus and then they pop back out of your cell and then are coughed out by you and other people Passed suck them on. into their lungs and get sick, okay? 
So in the case of the vaccine, we're doing a single protein, not the whole virus. We're just doing the spike protein on the outside, okay? And so that one protein, since it's on the outside of the virus, okay, if we make enough of that protein, that protein will be made inside of our cells from the mRNA, and then it gets put on to uh, immune system molecules, uh, usually something called major histocompatibility class, uh, class two molecules, and those molecules sit on the cell surface, and they will, can look like a flag, if you will, and the flag is the protein that's hanging off. And, you know, our body wants to have like an American flag, if you will, okay? And you'll see all of our own nice. proteins, okay? But if the flag looks like, you know, uh, from, from the nation of corona, right, and coronavirus, then we say that's not, doesn't belong here, and we need to get rid of it, okay? And so our body will come in with its immune system cells, take it out. That is essentially the same technology I used years ago, 20 years ago, and got a patent for to treat cancer. It's not new technology. It's been around forever. The reason these vaccines haven't worked in the past was because of the delivery mechanism, the liposomal preparations, the keeping the RNA stable enough. And we had a hard time getting the RNA in the cells without stimulating a tremendous inflammatory response um, that we did not want, okay? And uh, so it was, it was causing too many side effects. Those side effects are not occurring now because of advances in molecular biology. We're 20 years down the road. And uh, the virus uh, spike protein is apparently working great as an antigen. Antigens are uh, proteins that the immune system sees and recognizes, and when it sees it the first time, you know we're not prepared for it. Okay, so if you're gonna have, if you're gonna see it the first time, you want to see it as only a single protein, just the spike protein. You don't want to see coronavirus for the first time, and then have your body have to take two weeks to try to catch up. But in that two weeks, you've just gotten horrifically sick, and the course of the illness is only about two weeks. Why do you think that is? Because that's how long it takes for your memory cells and everything else in your immune system to finally catch up and finally get rid of it if you're lucky enough to survive. Right. So wow. what a beautiful antigen, explanation. Yeah. When you, when we get the antigen into the body, like the spike protein, then uh, now the body's seen it, but without, you know, we've seen in advance, it, it doesn't have all of its weapons to infect us. So the body now stimulates those memory cells. And those memory cells hang out. It's sort of like massing your troops on the border. So when the invaders come for real, we can repel them before they can get in. You know, for those of you that are disbelievers, it's kind of like building a wall on the border. Okay. Right? <laughs> Perfect. And, uh, you know, it kind of prevents the people or the things you don't want in your body from getting in. You know, <laughs> unless they have rope ladders and they throw it over the law and then just climb in. But, you know, so some people will still get sick even if they've been vaccinated. Uh, keep my analogy alive. This, this is a, a beautiful explanation. I, and I, I wanted to get into, into the simple but scientific explanation because as you and I have seen uh, nurses going online and just <sighs> trying to destroy what people know and social media is so powerful and crazy ideas get rapidly disseminated in an easy way. I'm, I think, Aaron, and I, might, I hope I'm wrong on this one, five years from now, we're going to look back at this vaccination discovery and we're going to see how it drastically impacted public health and the planet. And we're going to probably make these people the Nobel Prize winners or make some significant acknowledgement in retrospective to what we have accomplished this far. I think it's going to be a game changer because so far of what we have done for COVID, we haven't really found a cure or a magic treatment or found anything really effective. Is that correct? Right. Along those lines, you're correct. I think looking back, um, this vaccine has the, or these vaccines have the potential to do more to arrest the spread and finally put this pandemic to rest than anything else. I mean, 
there is no treatment that's uh, effective. I mean, basically, we're treating this, we're treating the symptoms of the virus, we're not treating the virus itself. I mean, really, like every other virus on planet Earth, there's there are really no medicines that stop viruses. You can take anti-retroviral uh, medicines; they don't really kill the virus; they just slow its replication. Viruses aren't alive; they're not dead. They're 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 undead. They're vampires, if you will, and they're parasites. They don't they don't they can't be killed in traditional means, and you can't put a spike through their heart. There is no heart. So um, this is this is just uh, the medicines we have that have been thrown out there, like hydroxychloroquine. They don't that's has not been really shown to be effective. Uh, there's people talking about uh, uh, ivermectin now, uh, and then again, same thing. Uh, vitamin D. Well, it may have some benefit, but again, it's a vitamin. We all have it in our body. Maybe we're deficient in it. Maybe we're not getting enough sunlight in our skin. Who knows? But again, it's not a cure. Uh, you know, uh, what we've been using is steroids. Steroids tend to be the best, but only in really sick people, hospitalized patients. And that's because of something called, um, you know, ARDS that people get uh, in their lungs. And, you know, ARDS is an inflammatory reaction in the lungs. But a lot of times your immune system goes haywire when it first sees a, uh, a virus or sometimes things in its own body goes haywire. And it, it overreacts and that overreaction causes more damage than the virus itself would otherwise. So all we can treat is the, that overreaction. We're not treating the virus. So yeah, I think the way we're going to get rid of this virus once and for all is to stop getting infected with it in the first place, you know? And uh, so that takes, you know, this goes back to our talk earlier about like, it's, I think it's an American culture thing. How is the greatest nation allegedly on planet earth? Okay. Being hit the hardest by especially the country that has some of the greatest medicine and some of the greatest technology in the world being hit the hardest by this virus when other countries can nip it in the bud or have managed to have not as bad of an outbreak. I think it goes right back to what I think foreigners will sp frequently talk about Americans as being arrogant, as being um, very uh, overconfident in ourselves. We, you know, we are, we believe in American exceptionalism, like, you know, and I think that while we are a great nation, we have a lot to learn from other people. And again, I, I hope I don't get bashed for this. You know, I'm, I'm not we, saying we, we, we might, we might, but you well, know, that we want to bring a little bit of lot. lightning and truth, truth to the people yeah, and wake well, up, like slap that's them. My, that's what my posts on the, on the uh, line are called. called un unmasking the truth. If I plug myself for a minute, you know, so I'm going to speak what I see as the truth here. And the reality is that Americans think about ourselves and we don't think about others. And we don't, and we don't get, we're very self-absorbed people. By and large, not everyone, you know, um, and there's exceptions to every rule, but globally, that's how we're perceived. And I think that that is, there's a reason for that. And uh, it, it's, you got to be willing to look inside and make changes. The reason we're having problems, despite all of our advances, I mean, it's because we want a silver bullet. We want the thing where we have to do the least amount of sacrifice. Right? And we can take that one magic pill. And when I take that one magic pill, poof, I don't get coronavirus. Okay. But if we tell you that the, that the cure, okay, is an ounce of prevention, rather than that pound of cure, okay? Nobody wants to do it. That's why we have obesity running rampant in this country. It's probably heart disease running rampant in this country. We tell you what to do as doctors for a long time. We've said, don't eat it, you know, uh, high cholesterol diets. Don't, you know, get out and exercise regularly. And by the way, all these things would also help you from getting things like coronavirus, okay? Yeah, don't die from it. Right? People want this, the magic bullet. People just continually do the things that we, you know, do every day and we don't want any kind of inconvenience. That is going to lead to big problems. And so the only way you're going to get rid of this virus, in my estimation, in this country, people aren't willing to sacrifice, or at least 90% of America won't make that sacrifice, then you're going to have to have something that basically prevents the transmission of the disease, and it, even if it doesn't cure it. 
So in this sense, we're not curing coronavirus. We're going to be preventing it from continuing to replicate and spread to other people. So, um, and that's the only way we're going to get ahead of it. We could have done that a year ago by staying apart, putting masks on and not coughing on each other, breathing on each other, you know, but when you're on a subway in New York, what are you going to do? I mean, you're, you're a foot from somebody else, you know, you can't do it that way. So that's why some places have had it worse than others too, because it's demographics. So I agree. That's the only way we're going to get ahead of it is, is, uh, is to do something like a vaccine. So people are going to have to embrace this. And we're going to have a long, cold winter. And then this is going to be COVID-20, COVID-21, COVID-22, unless we decide that we only want it to be COVID-19. Right? And that's to do the vaccine. Looking into the future, people ask me all the time, when is this going to end? And probably people ask you all the time, when is this going to come into an end? How do you foresee it? Uh, you know, it's going to come to an end when we acquire herd immunity. Okay? And that means that we get enough people on board um, that are vaccinated and are willing to do things that we're suggesting that this, it no longer spreads. It's going to come to an end slowly. This is not going to be sudden. You know, we get the healthcare workers uh, vaccinated. That's great. At least the, now we still have the healthcare workers out there. Uh, but, you know, by and large, we're not the ones getting infected all that much. Uh, I mean, it's happened. There have been some. I know you have and others. But um, as I mentioned earlier, you know, we're gowned up. We're trying to protect. It's, it's the general population that's, that's incurring this uh, the terrible toll of this disease. So it's going to come to an end slowly. It's not going to be a magic bullet, but we got to get buy-in. We got to get the public to buy in and trust. And, you know, so I'll tell you one thing that I like that's happening is that, you know, they're, they're administering the virus to the healthcare workers first. You know, we're the ones saying take it. We're going to be the guinea pigs too. You know, I'm so confident that I'm willing to take it sight unseen. Okay. Because I know the technology and I know I trust in the 40,000 people that, had, you know, received placebo and received, um, you know, the, the viral vaccine and they followed them for several months. I don't believe there's going to be long-term effects from this. And yes, there's going to be cases where somebody might get Guillain-Barre. That's horrible. Okay. Yes, there might be a case where someone has an anaphylactic reaction. These things happen with every virus. They happen with, they happen with every vaccine. It's so it's, uh, it's, there's always going to be side effects to every medication, to everything we ever do. But we have to trade, you know, the, I hate to get all like sci-fi geek on everyone here, but it's okay. we're going to go to Star Trek for a minute. You know, Mr. Spock used to say, you know, the good of the many outweighs the good of the few or the one. Okay. And that's what we've got to think about here. We've got to worry about the many and not ourselves. Okay. When we get that buy-in and people stop being, start being more concerned about others than they are about themselves, we'll beat this virus. That's how it ends. That's how it goes away. Okay? And you know what? We need to learn these lessons for influenza next season. And for, because, you know, the things we're doing right now for coronavirus seem to be mitigating and eliminating influenza. It's at an all-time historic low since we've ever counted it because it's not as transmissible. And this social distancing, mask wearing, you know, and washing has wiped it out. And guess what? More people got the vaccine for flu this year than any other year up to this point. At least that's what I read. So um, if that's true, then my God, people, it works. Okay. And we can do this. It's not, you know, I hate to say it's not rocket science, you know, it's, but it is science. I know that's a scary word to some people, but it shouldn't be. Okay. Um, we're here to help. Aaron, this project of you putting some good content on social media, educating people the right way, obviously has generated a lot of heat. And yeah. I love to see the, the conversations, but we want to just kind of clear out the air, give you the facts, what we deal with, the situations, and trust us, guy. We come from a good point 
from a good place in our hearts and we have a great intention. That's why this collaboration with the real Dr. Oz, how, how we can get a hold of you, Aaron, for the future. If somebody wants to ask you a question, tweak you, tweet you, text you, how do we get yeah. a hold of Dr. So, Oz? Um, I'm older than I look, I'm just aging gracefully, but uh, so I'm not <laughs> as, uh, as uh, uh, shall we say, technologically astute up to this point. So I'm, you're not going to find me uh, on Twitter and those things at this point, but it's to come. Right now, um, you can definitely uh, find me on Facebook, and I'm also going to be branching out to YouTube and other things shortly. You'll be able to find me through uh, hashtag Dr. Oz um, is going to be one of my handles. And uh, as I have an MD and a PhD, you can kind of stutter when you say it, Dr. Doctor, okay? So, uh, or real Dr. Oz. And uh, of course, um, you can also find me uh, if you use the hashtag unmasking the truth uh, with Dr. Uh, Dr. Oz on, uh, or just hashtag unmasking the truth on uh, Facebook as well right now. And you'll find lots. Um, people can uh, be happy to receive emails too if they'd like. And they can send that to uh, aaronosborne.md.phd at outlook.com. I'll answer questions. There is three people from our residency training that are remarkably public out there. I don't want to give credit to myself. I'm just trying to have a hobby. But you BW. and Jason Wilson. Yes. I'm you are best. two of the brightest... You're two of the brightest people that I ever known and being classmates and seeing your academic discussions in, in the classroom were rather interesting. So great deal of respect for, for Jason. He has done so yeah. many wonderful things for Tampa Bay. He and, is what motivated me to get online and start doing this. Uh, frankly, watching what he's been doing in Tampa and how he's been uh, making public appearances and also you, what you've been doing. I said, you know what, I got to get on, get in on this. Uh, some of us have the gift of gab and uh, sort of us, uh, some of us really uh, like to go out and try to help people. Um, and Jason, especially you and, and I, I think are well suited to this. So I'm happy to get out and help. You, you know who's proud of you? Not only your family, Dr. Kelly O'Keefe. I bet he's going to be watching from Sarasota. You know what? Um, uh, I walked uh, many a mile, as they say, uh, you know, dead man walking, uh, you know. But uh, I know Dr. O'Keefe, I think hopefully will be uh, proud of where we've gotten. Uh, I know that... Uh, uh, I talked to him recently, and uh, he's doing well, and uh, I'm sure he'll be happy to see us uh, motoring forward. Well, the real we Dr. Oz. Huh? So we were taught by the best. Uh, yeah, Dr. O'Keefe is, frankly, the best I've ever seen. So, you know, uh, and he's like a dad to us, always. Like a father to us, and I, I owe him. I owe him yes. my career. I owe him oh, my absolutely. life. Oh, absolutely. Me too. I owe me him too. to be in Tampa, to have met my wife, and to be here. Aaron, thank hey, you. Let me say one thing before you wrap it up. Oh, no, no, absolutely. I met you 13 years ago when you came to the program. You uh, blew my mind. Uh, I, I, I interacted with, you know, probably 50 people that wanted to take that residency spot because one opened up in the middle of the year. You were the only one, only, that stood out. Um, and it's for the obvious reasons that your followers, while you have 20,000 or 200,000, whatever it is, hits right now, you're very personal, very polite. You uh, always are smiling. And you're like this with your patients all the time. You're a tremendous guy, uh, and you got a lot going for you. And it's uh, people have a lot to learn from you. So keep it up, Alonzo. You're doing great, and I'm I'm, I'm happy that I made a good decision to endorse your uh, application to the program back then. I'm glad uh, you know K-Pak or Kelly O'Keefe that we just mentioned uh, listened and uh, took you in. So you're doing great things. Keep it up. Thank you, buddy. I really appreciate uh, taking time of your Sunday from. Thanks from your BC uh, week, 75, 80 hours working to just yeah, to be here with exactly us for a couple right. hours. 
And sorry about the technical difficulties. So guys, follow us on osoriomd.com, Facebook, Instagram, pretty much every single social network. And this is going to be loaded live on YouTube soon coming up this week. So be in the lookout and I hope you enjoy. Please leave a feedback, comment, subscribe if you like. And if you don't like it, leave it a comment. I want to create a lot, a lot of discussion because that's the only way we grow. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. And Dr. Ross, I appreciate your time. Thank you, Alonzo.